On this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, we talk with Chris Rogers about how all the Terps coming back to College Park fared this summer. Plus, a conversation with Maryland volunteer assistant coach and the winningest Terp in program history, Anthony Papio. And finally, Connor Newcomb joins us to talk about some former Terps who are currently playing in professional organizations. Here we go. This is the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Here's your host, Justin Galanti. Hey everybody, welcome to the 41st episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Hope you didn't miss us too much during the summer, but we are finally back and it's time to start talking Maryland baseball again. I'm Justin Galanti, here joined by Chris Rogers. Chris, must be exciting for you to be back in College Park and be around this Terps baseball program again. A lot of changes on the one hand, on the other hand, not so many changes, but certainly a lot of excitement and a lot of juice. Oh, yeah, it's definitely exciting to be back. Like you said, a lot of changes, the new coaching staff coming in, uh, most notably Rob Vaughn taking over as head coach and Corey Muscara coming in from St. John's to take over as pitching coach. But a lot of mainstays coming back, Zach Jankarski, A.J. Lee, Taylor Bloom, Justin Morris, to name a few. So it'll be interesting to see how this season plays out. Absolutely, but before we can talk about what's going to happen this season, we have to talk about what happened over the summer. Summer ball, always so important, and that's what we'll go with right now. Uh, a lot of Terps had a lot of success, and before we get into individual statistics, Chris, Chris this coaching staff preaches the fact that winners win, and Maryland Terrapin did a lot of winning this summer. Nick Dunn and Marty Costas win a Cape Cod Baseball League title with the Brewster Whitecaps, and then in the Cal Ripken League, Justin Morris, Zach Jankarski, and John Murphy all win with the Bethesda Big Train. Yeah, it like Rob Vaughn says, winners win, and this was obviously a great summer for these guys, and you also have to talk about guys like John Dignazio, Randy Bednar, A.J. Lee, Mike Vistoria that didn't win a championship with the Baltimore Redbirds, but they got to the Ripken League championship. So a lot of success all across the board for Terps in the summer. Well, absolutely. And if uh, you guys don't know, Chris spent the summer in the Ripken League with the big train. So Chris also kind of won a title himself. I was in the Cape with the Bourne Braves. We didn't win, but got to see a lot of Terps over the summer. So we'll start talking about these guys. And I think we should start in the Cape as College baseball in the summer really does start in the Cape. It almost starts and ends in the Cape, doesn't it, Chris? Mm -hmm. The Cape is really the focal point of uh, summer college baseball. That's the watermark for every other team, er every other summer league. That they aspire to be the Cape, and the best players in the country go there. And I think really the player that stands out for me from the Terps this summer is Nick Dunn. It's the second straight uh, Terp to win Cape Cod playoff LCS MVP after Kevin Smith did in 2016 and you saw more of him this summer so what do you see from him? Yeah I mean Dunn was absolutely outstanding started off the year a little bit slow at his average in the mid 200s finished the season hitting 333 in the regular season thanks to a double digit game hit streak he showed a little bit of power he had 16 RBIs walked more than he struck out which is pretty as per usual, I guess, for Nick Dunn. And he was just one of the tougher outs in the league the entire summer. 
and I don't have any problem saying that. I mean, there were a lot of great hitters up there, and Nick Dunn was certainly one of them. And it was really good to see after a year where he just hit barely over 260 in College Park, which was quite surprising after his very successful freshman campaign. But if you look at Nick Dunn's resume over two years on the Cape, hits over 300 twice. He's an all-star one year. He's the LCS MVP, as you mentioned, this year. And he broke a 15-plus year drought for the Brewster Whitecaps. Now, he didn't do it by himself, but Brewster hadn't won a title in more than 15 years. Nick Dunn helps get that done, no pun intended. It's a really impressive two-year career in the Cape for Dunn. And despite not having his best year last year as a sophomore in College Park, I think there's every reason to believe that he will have a breakout junior year almost like his freshman year and even better. Yeah, I, I think that's safe to say. And you look at someone like Kevin Smith, who had a similar summer on the Cape last year. I'd honestly say Nick Dunn's summer this year was better than Kevin Smith last year. Smith put up the playoff numbers, but Dunn was just so consistent throughout the season after that slow start. And I think after the performance he put on this summer, and even going back to the Big Ten tournament in May and regionals in June, he was showing a lot more power. He only hit one home run over the summer, but he had a few in the Big Ten tournament. He had seven doubles on the Cape. So I think this might be the year that you see Dunn bring that power element to his game a little bit more. Now, one of Nick's teammates on the Cape with the Brewster Whitecaps also winning a title was Marty Costas. And I have to tell you what, Chris, I have never seen a love affair between a city or a town and a player than Brewster, Massachusetts and Marty Costas. The Marty party made its way from College Park up to Cape Cod. They absolutely loved him up there. He hit five home runs, hit just under 300, hit right in the middle of that Brewster order, had game-winning home runs, not walk-off home runs, but go-ahead home runs in game three of their first round series and second round series and these series are best of three and then in the championship game or the championship round game three so winner take all he made one of the best plays I've ever seen a diving catch in the left center field gap that kept Brewster on top late in the ball game Brewster went on to win so it was really more the same for Marty who not so heralded as a recruit freshman all-american first team all big 10 last year and then a tremendous summer really good to see for Marty yeah, and Marty's another guy who started off kind of slow in the Cape. You know, through the first few weeks, Nick Dunn and Marty Costas were both hitting in the low 200s, and then Costas just really turned it on at the end of the season. You know, five home runs, 23 RBI, almost as many walks as strikeouts, 16 to 20, and 938 OPS. So he just really picked up in the Cape where he left off this season as he helped lead the Terps to a regional. Now, the other three guys that made it up to the Cape for the Terps were Tyler Blom, who pitched for the Falmouth Commodores, Hunter Parsons pitched for the YD Red Sox, and John Murphy uh, got a little bit of a temporary contract in the Cape with the Wareham Gateman for the playoffs after playing in the Ripken League all summer. Starting with Blom, his numbers weren't excellent. Uh, he kind of faded down the stretch of his summer. His ERA ended up at 4.6 in 29 of the third inning, started six games, pitched seven. Uh, but you have to think that this was more than he's ever thrown in his life. Through around 90 innings as a freshman, goes straight to the Cape, keeps throwing as the summer goes on. So really it was a summer more to work on things, I think, for Tyler. And you can throw out those stats a little bit and you know, hopefully he can get his arm rested up and things like that coming back to College Park. For Hunter Parsons, also the ERA not great at 6.75, but some of the peripheral numbers weren't bad. Just a 254 batting average against, and there were a couple of situations where 
inherited runners scored that were charged to him after another reliever came in the game. Overall, though, Hunter looked pretty good, and he hopes for a, ba uh, a bounce back here who another guy who was really solid as a freshman struggled as a sophomore. Yeah, and I think going back to Bloom, like you said, the innings are an issue. And throughout the spring, the big knock on him is that he did really well against the not-so-great teams that the Terps played and then struggled against some of the better competition. And I think the Cape is good for that in that these are the best college players in the country. And for him to get this experience, just 29 innings under his belt against the best college bats in the country is really going to boost his confidence. You absolutely have to think so. Now moving to where the most Terps were this summer, that's the Ripken League where you were. Start with the guys on your team, Justin Morris, Zach Jankarski, and John Murphy. Morris hit over 300, showed power with three home runs, and if he can have a successful summer leading into a good senior year in College Park, that can be huge to provide a bat behind the plate for the Terps. Yeah, I agree. And with Morris, it dates back to the Big Ten tournament in the end of the season when he really took over that starting role for the Terps and hit around 270 down the stretch for Maryland, then really carried that into the summer. Like you said, 308 average, three homers, 12 RBIs, and just 65 at-bats. And then was really crucial for the big train in the championship series. He actually won the LCS MVP, so he and Nick Dunn both with postseason awards, but he had 500 in the playoffs, including a clutch bases-loaded double against the Baltimore Redbirds in the championship. So, you know, he's always been a defensive-minded catcher, but the power is definitely showing up recently, and the patience at the plate is showing up, and I think if he continues this, he'll be a valuable asset in the Terps lineup. Yeah, Morris has absolutely shown spurts of impressive offense throughout his time in College Park, and if he can be more consistent this year, that just lengthens the lineup even more, obviously. Zach Jankarski patrolled the outfield for the big train, coming off an absolute breakout campaign, starting in center field for Maryland. He goes out with the big train. He has just under 100 at-bats, a 347 average, steals 15 bases, three home runs. I think Maryland fans at least saw all over Twitter that walk-off he had. And from the angle, you might think it was a home run, the way Zach reacted to it, kind of, you know, standing in the box for a while, flips the bat, all that good stuff. It was actually a sack fly or, or a it, single? It, so he came up with the bases loaded. I believe it was bottom of the ninth inning of a tie game and works the count to 3-2 and launches one. And Shirley Povich Field, where the big train plays, it's a pretty decent-sized ballpark. It was probably 350 or so to left center where he hit it. He hit it off the very top of the wall. Now, one out in the ninth inning, even a sack fly is going to score the winning run, so he pimps it, but ended up being a very, very long single. Well, you know, it looks good on video, and no mm -hmm. one can tell it didn't go over the fence unless we're telling you. Uh, but overall... Just a continuation of a tremendous 2017 in college and in the summer for Jankarski. Oh, definitely. I mean, he displayed all the elements that we saw in the spring this summer for the big train. You know, he had the power. He had three home runs, including one that cleared the trees beyond the left field fence in Bethesda. Did he pimp that one? Not as much as the walk-off, <laughs> surprisingly. But that was also in the fifth inning of a close game. So, um, There's never a wrong time for a bat flip. See, see, that's how I feel, but the opposing pitchers sometimes disagree. So Feelings can get hurt. I understand that, I guess. Yeah, espe especially in summer college ball. You get to the majors, that's a whole different <laughs> story. But, yeah. Um, 
No, Jankarski looked really good this summer. The speed was there. He stole 15 bases, played some really solid outfield defense, and walked 20 times in just, I mean, he had just under 100 at-bats, so about 120 plate appearances, walked 20 times, struck out only 11. And that that's what really stands out to me. And then on the mound for your big train, John Murphy was so good in playoffs or in playoff situations, I guess, in the Big Ten tournament and in the NCAA tournament, got out of a bunch of jams out of the bullpen. And with Ryan Selmer getting drafted by the Mets moving on, I think coming out of last season, the thought in everyone's mind is John Murphy's going to be the closer. What did you see from him this summer? Well, he started a lot for the big train, started five times in seven appearances, but I think that was more to get innings under his belt than anything else. You know, he was used out of the bullpen a lot for the Terps this spring, especially down the stretch as just the first guy you bring in to put out the fire. And he had a couple really impressive performances, like you said, down the stretch for the Terps. But this this summer, he just really continued a lot of the same stuff. Some of the numbers don't look as good as his actual performance was. He had a th- solid 3.37 ERA. Uh, opponents average 3.13. That's a little high, but you know he, he was just getting guys out, getting ahead of guys, using that high fastball that he does to just blow it by guys. I mean, 29 strikeouts in 24 innings is nothing to laugh at. And then we also look at a guy like A.J. Lee, another breakout year as a sophomore. He was with the Baltimore Redbirds, as you mentioned. Struggled early in the year. The average kind of came up towards the end of it he finished at 262 one kind of odd number was that he stole 14 bases but got caught stealing nine times yeah that's something that also stood out to me and I think part of that is summer ball you know you're just trying to keep your skills up improve on things so maybe the coaches there wanted him to steal try and steal more bases I mean 14 steals is definitely you have some speed there but um yeah he he started slow he was hitting under 200 for a while, and like Costas and Dunn up in the Cape, just really came on strong at the end of the season. So, uh, you know, also walked 20 times. So he had 262 average and 381 on base, which is what you like to see. Right, and, you know, what does Billy Bean always say in Moneyball? Does he get on base? And A.J. Lee got on base quite a bit. He had such a good offensive year last year when it really wasn't expected. It'll be interesting to see what happens this year when there are expectations on A.J. You wonder if he's a guy who could move to shortstop uh, with Kevin Smith gone. Where was A.J. Lee on the diamond mostly this summer? He was playing a lot of short for the Redbirds. Um, Played a little bit of third, but mostly played short. Made some really impressive plays from what I saw when the Redbirds played the big train. So he's definitely someone that could easily transition over to short for the Terps this spring. But at the same time, he played such a good defense at third base that if if there's another option at short, you almost want to keep the hot hand at third. Absolutely. And one more guy who played for the Redbirds, and I think a lot of people are going to be excited about, uh, is Randy Bednar. He's an incoming freshman to College Park. He hit almost 336 homers, 27 RBIs, got on the mound a little bit, pitched twice, three pretty good innings for them, and people expect Bednar to see some very legitimate playing time, if not start this year as a freshman. Oh, definitely. I mean, he's, he's an impact player on both sides of the game. You know, he can pitch. He's a bats right-handed, throws left-handed, which is interesting. You mm-hmm. don't see that a whole lot. Only, really, only... Uh, he bats right, he throws lefty. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's something you see a decent amount with pitchers, but not that much with position players. But 
yeah, he, he's a guy that you can bring out of the bullpen to throw some innings, but really it's all about the bat. I mean, he hit almost 330, a lot of power, six homers, five doubles, and he stole seven bases in seven attempts, didn't get thrown out. So the speed is something that really stands out to me as well. He's got the good power-speed combo you want to see. And so there's varying number of at-bats and different leagues that guys played in, but Bednar had more home runs and more RBIs than any Terp that played summer baseball in 2017. And I think the last guy we really need to talk about here wasn't in the Ripken League, wasn't in the Cape. He was in the Northwoods League and had a really solid and a really interesting summer. So Kevin Biondic has a good freshman year with Maryland, really struggles with the bat, really only a defensive replacement in 2017. But now with the Thunder Bay Border Cats, that's a mouthful in the Northwoods League, gets 169 at-bats, has a really nice summer, five homers, 26 RBIs, hit over 250 on base percentage, over 370. But the big news, Kevin Biondic is a pitcher now, at least in some you know, to some extent, he had the best ERA of any Terp this summer, 1.62 in a pretty good sample size, 16 and two-thirds innings. And just reading that line, Chris, I know neither of us saw him, but you're just thinking about Jamal Wade and what happened last year. I mean, he goes from essentially a reserve outfielder who to a guy who gives up his last year of eligibility because he gets drafted by the Mariners. I mean, the possibilities people are really excited about with Kevin Biondic. Yeah, and Biondic's an interesting case because with Brandon Gum uh, moving on, he's out of eligibility, you figure Biondic is going to be in the mix to start at first base this season. But he had just such a dominant summer on the mound. You know, his 1.62 ERA, his 1.14 whip, his 2.07 batting average against, is they're all by far the best marks of any Terp with significant time on the mound this summer. Um, so... And the Northwoods League is is not the Cape, but it's probably the closest thing out there in terms of the level of competition. You know? Absolutely, yeah. A lot of people regard the Northwoods League as the second best uh, collegiate summer baseball league in the country. Yeah, so for him to put up those numbers in 16 innings against some of the better bats in the country, especially from Midwest schools, you know that that's really impressive and that's something that you definitely think will factor into the Terps pitching staff this spring. So there was a lot of good things, or there were a lot of good things happening this summer with Maryland Terrapins. I'm going to ask you here, uh, Jake and I last year, we'd always pick our Terp of the Week. Who's your Terp of the Summer? Ooh, that's a tough one, but I'm going to have to give it to Nick Dunn. I mean, you hit 333 in the regular season on the Cape and follow that up with LCS MVP honors. You know, there's really not much more you can ask out of a guy. Uh, I'll give an honorable mention to Justin Morris and Marty Costas as well. Um, you know, Costas just put up great numbers in the Cape, the same as we're used to seeing, and Morris led the big train to a Ripken League championship. But, yeah, Terp of the Summer, you got to give it to Nick Dunn. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you that Nick Dunn is the Terp of the Summer for every reason that you said. Uh, but I will say, and this wasn't my question, but I'm just going to say it because why not, I guess. I mean, it's a podcast. We can do that, right? Right. I think – the most impactful summer is Kevin Biondic because of what he might be able to bring back to College Park. Maybe even a two-way guy. Jamal Wade looked like he was going to be a two-way guy, turned into just a pitcher, but Biondic had a good summer with the bat, a really good summer on the mound, and that could be very, very interesting as we come back to College Park right now. 
It's only September, but it feels like late February and March are coming soon, and baseball season will be right on the horizon. So, Chris, thanks so much for joining us here and filling everyone in on what all the Terps did this summer. Now we had the opportunity to sit down with Maryland volunteer assistant coach Anthony Papio to talk about all kinds of things related to Terps baseball, his promotion, the pull-up bar outside his office, and what it took for him last year to be named to the Big Ten All-Pro team. So we're now joined by volunteer assistant coach Anthony Papio here on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Coach, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me on. So did you ever spend any time on this podcast when you were a player? Yeah, I think I did uh, once or twice. I think it was my, my senior year, so um, this will be, I think, my second or third go around. Now, you spent five year, years here as a player. Now this will be your second year as a coach. What was that transition like for you, you know, moving from the outfield to the dugout? Um, so, you know, I think the biggest thing was um, when I first kind of signed on to do this, um, I didn't really know how it was going to be coaching guys that I just finished up playing with. Um, you know, I thought that was going to be a little bit of a challenge, and it actually turned out to be something that, that went pretty easy for me. It was pretty smooth. Um, and I think a lot of that had to do with the relationships with the guys I had. Um, you know, they respected me, and I had a ton of respect for those guys. So um, that transition went pretty pretty easy for me. Do you think it was more difficult to transition from, you know, your players, the guys you played with from friends to now you're their coach, or the guys you played for were now your colleagues? That's a, that's a great question. It was actually, um, you know, it was a little bit of a – a difficult, not difficult, but um, definitely a, an interesting change from both perspectives. Um, for me, coaching with these guys that I played for um, was super easy again because I had, I had a great relationship with them already. Um, I was communicating with those guys constantly, even when I was playing. So, um, and I think, I think my personality and, you know, the type of player I was kind of really aligns with the, the type of guys that they are, um, you know, and we were on the same page with, with almost everything and how we think and how we, you know, expect guys to play and how we wanted to play as players too. So um, that wasn't too bad. And, you know, again, from me coaching the guys that I played with, that transition went a lot smoother than I would have anticipated. What do you think you learned as a coach in year one that you're looking to take forward into year two? Um you know what, I've learned a ton, especially um, especially on the recruiting side of things. And, um, you know, that's kind of something that Coach Vaughn, Coach Swope, and, you know, the new pitching coach, Coach Mascara, even in the short, the short amount of time that he's been with us, um, those guys are really dynamite at that stuff. And um, I think the biggest thing that I've learned is, you know, this business is, is all about relationships. So... Um, relationships with your current players, building relationships with, you know, guys, players that you're recruiting, building relationships with um, those players' coaches, summer ball programs, high school coaches. Um, I think that's kind of the biggest thing that I've learned. And, you know, I've gotten more comfortable talking on the phone with, um, with players and coaches and, 
Um, that's kind of really what it's all about. You know, I watch these guys and they're constantly on the phone talking to people because building these relationships and keeping them going is super important to them. And um, I think it's a big reason why they've had so much success in the past. Now, we've been back in College Park for about three weeks since summer break. And before we get ahead to this year, I just want to reflect on last year a little bit. I mean, you think about it, you guys go into the season ranked in the top 25, pretty much the unanimous choice to win the Big Ten. That didn't quite happen, but you had the Big Ten Pitcher of the Year, the Big Ten Freshman of the Year, Marty Costas, first team All-Big Ten, A.J. Lee has a breakout year, Zach Jankarski has a breakout year. I mean, there are a lot of really good individual performers on your team. You make it to the Big Ten semifinals, you make it to a regional, win a game against UMBC. So how does the staff look at the 2017 season as a whole? You know what, I think it was a, a pretty successful year for us as a whole. Um, you know, we started off the year with uh, two pretty tough, tough weeks um, down in Florida. We played, you know, we played Louisville, and then the following weekend we went to LSU, played three games there, um, started off one and five. You know, things weren't looking great at that point. And then, you know, we really turned things around and had a, I would say, a really good, um, you know, month and a half stretch where, you know, we're looking halfway through the season, maybe two-thirds of the way through the season, we're maybe on pace to have our best year ever, um, which was great. And then, you know, things kind of slid down the stretch. I think our last our last three or four weekends weren't great. Um, so as a whole, though, I thought it was a really good year, man. Anytime you make it to a regional and get to compete in the postseason, that's always a plus. Um, were there things we could have done better? Probably, yeah. I think every team in the country can say that at some point, but um, I would consider last year a, a big success for us, and you know, there's a lot of positives moving into this year. Something we've discussed a lot on the podcast and on NBN broadcast and things like that is when the conversation can be had of, you know, is last year a success when you made a regional? Going back five years, seven years, if you said Maryland made a regional, I mean, you're taking that every day. So what does that say about the program that – we can even begin to have this conversation about a team that had postseason success. Yeah, um, I think that's a great point. You know, I think um, that that indicates that um, not only are the is the team getting better, we're getting more talent in here, um, but I think it also is just a, a mental shift too. Guys are now expecting to play in the postseason every year, and expecting to to be a team that's that's feared a little bit in the postseason. Um, so. You know, for me, and I think most of our guys and the rest of our staff, for us, our goal is to win a national championship. Um, I think if your goal is anything short of that, then why are you playing? You know what I mean? Exactly. Um, so, you know, I know a lot of teams are very satisfied just making it to the postseason or going to Omaha. I know a lot of teams, you know, on their stuff, it's go to Omaha, however many miles to Omaha. Um, I think for us, like if, if we're not dogpiling the last game of the season – ultimately we didn't reach our our end all be all goal so um that's kind of where we stand and i think our players are now can kind of see that and envision that every day and that's what they're working towards um everything they do in their day is driven towards you know meeting our goals and our our end of the year goals of of winning a national championship so 2017 at least the baseball 2017 comes to an end against west virginia down in winston-salem few weeks go by, everyone, you know, kind of goes home for the summer, and then the news hits that head coach John Sheff leaves for Virginia Tech, and that had to obviously mean something to you. 
uh, because you played for him so long, then you coached under him for a year. A few weeks later, get the news, Rob Vaughn's the new head coach. You know, you're moving up on the staff. Matt Swope's the new hitting coach. So from the outside looking in, on the one hand, there's a lot of changes around here. On the other hand, it's really just change in job title. Mm -hmm. So do you think things are a lot the same here or things have changed a little bit? I mean, I know you guys and Coach Vaughn probably has a little different coaching style than, you know, the general versus yeah. the, a 30. I don't know if you know this. Rob Vaughn's 31. I mean, you know this. I don't know if you've thought about this. Rob Vaughn is three years older than the sophomore punter on the football team. Love that. So that's <laughs> I did pretty, not know that. Yeah, so, I, I mean, how different, how the same is it these first few weeks? Yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with that. Um, you know, we kind of shuffled around job titles, and we're all in a slightly different role. But, um, you know, four of the five people on staff have been with us for several years now. Um, I think the great thing is that from a, from a philosophy standpoint and what we expect from our players and how we play the game, I think that's all stays the same. Um, you know what I mean? We're all on the same page and what we believe in and, you know, what, what the vision for this program is. Um, and I think adding coach mascara to that list only solidifies that more. He, that guy couldn't be a more perfect fit for what we're trying to do here. Um, you know, as a staff, we're all about bringing energy and we're a passionate group and, um, you know, we're not going to get outworked by anybody. And I think that dude, um, is a perfect example of that. That dude's energy level is on another planet. <laughs> and I'm serious. It's out of control. I'm not sure that he sleeps a ton, but, um, you know, his passion for what he does, developing players, um, you know, is, is, is really good, man. Now you're talking about energy level, and the buzzword around the Maryland Athletic Department has been juice. Mm -hmm. Now, people forget, before anyone on the football team or anyone else had excessive juice, it was A.J. Lee who had juice last year. Mm -hmm. People forget about that, but what does juice mean to you guys? So for us, juice is just a term that um, we throw around a lot here, and uh, that kind of is something that applies to every part of our day. Um, you know, we want our guys to bring juice in the classroom, be excited to go to class, be uh, engaged. No, nah, I'm serious, man. <laughs> We're taking that serious, and our guys are are taking that serious as well. I'll get I'll give you an interesting academic story in a minute, but um, but no, that's the same thing. When we come out to the field, guys need to be bringing energy, bringing juice. Um, you know, we're big believers in energy brings more energy. You know what I mean? Um, we don't want guys that are coming to the field dragging and our energy vampires and you know, bringing the rest of the team down. So um, we want our guys to bring juice into the weight room. We literally have a jug of juice, <laughs> of juice. It's taped on there. It what says kinds? juice. Uh, you know, I couldn't really tell you what exactly is in there. <laughs> it's red. Um, but actually, Tommy Gardner just won Juice Guy of the Week last week, so he's responsible for bringing the jug around him with him uh, wherever he goes. Okay. If we find him without the juice, he's got some punishment coming <laughs> his way. So – uh, but that's kind of how it is, man. We just want guys to be excited and, and bring energy and passion to, to all parts of their day. But um, going back to the academic thing, I know you think I'm kidding, but what we just did, um, we just had an academic fantasy draft. Wow. Okay, so Carl, our new academic advisor, um, he, he's coming from Louisville. He brought – this was his idea, something they did down there. Um, so – Myself, Coach Swope, Coach Mascara, and Megan, four team captains. Okay, we each drafted a team of, I think, eight guys. So we went through. I mean, it was legit 
fantasy draft style. We had the board set up. We had a shot clock. Um, so basically what it's going to be is it'll be a semester-long thing. Um, highest cumulative GPA amongst the team gets dinner with Coach Vaughn uh, at a place of our choice. So um, we're taking it pretty serious, man. I'm, my guys are super locked in. I don't really see how we're going to lose. My draft was stupid. <laughs> um, so – but these guys are excited about it, man. That's that's kind of the big thing. We want our guys to be excited about going to class, excited to come to practice, um, excited to get after it in the weight room, go to study hall. You know what I mean? And I think that's kind of the, the biggest thing for us. Well, I'm glad there's no broadcasters in that draft. I don't have to worry yeah. about my academics, right? <laughs> yeah, so, no doubt. So after spring ends and before fall can start, there's summer ball. Mm-hmm. And Rob Vaughn loves to say it. He said it to me last week when I saw him, winners win. They and certainly do. Maryland Terrapins did a lot of winning this summer. A bunch of guys won a Cal Ripken League title with the Bethesda Big Train. Marty Costas and Nick Dunn win a Cape League title with the Brewster Whitecaps. And before I ask you the summer ball impact for you guys, so Marty and Dunn beat the team I worked for, the Bourne Braves, in the finals. I hate to see it. Were you actually happy that Marty and Dunn won because I lost? I know that had to hurt you a little bit knowing how upset I probably was. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm going to tell you what, man. When those guys, uh, you know, got real hot down the stretch there, it was pretty exciting to watch. And unfortunately, it had to come uh, at, at your loss. But uh, I, was, I was pumped for those guys. You know what? I have to be honest. I was, I was very excited for them as well. Marty walked us off once early in the season. Mm-hmm. And, and there were maybe five guys that were a tougher out I saw this summer than Nick Dunn and Marty Costas. I mean, they, they were exceptional. You have a bunch of guys doing big things in the Ripken League. Kevin Biondic goes up to the Northwoods League. All of a sudden, he's a two-way player. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, guys all over the country really doing big things for you guys in summer ball. What does that mean to you as a program? I mean, not only do guys get better over the summer, not only do they have success, so that's good for you right now, but, you know, Nick Dunn wins the MVP of the Cape League Championship Series. You know, there are kids all over the country watching the Cape League and saying, oh, Maryland, the MVP, two years in a row. Kevin Smith did it last year. I mean, this has to have a lot of impacts on the program. Yeah, absolutely, man. And that's uh, that's a big thing. We expect our guys to, to go about their business and play summer ball as hard as they do here. Um, I think that tells other places and, you know, um, other teams a lot about your program. Uh we go about doing things the right way all the time, not just during the, the spring season when we're playing for the school, but we expect guys to, to really get after it and work on their craft while they're away at summer ball. Um, and as far as, you know, the success that our guys have had in the past couple of years in the summer, um, I think that's like, like Coach Vaughn said, man, winners win. I think certain guys just have that kind of a part of who they are and, you know, they're whether they're natural leaders or they're guys that, um, just kind of raise the bar for the rest of the team. You know, our guys have done done a really good job of that. So, um, you know, my hat's off to those guys. Now, talking about the team coming back, you lost Brian Schaefer, the Big Ten Pitcher of the Year. You lose a top five-round draft pick in Kevin Smith. You lose a high draft pick in Ryan Selmer. You lose Jamal Wade. Madison Nickens graduates. So those sound like a lot of names, but, you know, let's just rattle this off around the infield. You have Justin Morris back behind the plate, Nick Dunn. You have A.J. Lee. you got Marty Costas in the outfield. You have Zach Jankarski in the outfield. You have Will Watson, who's kind of a D.H. first base left field hybrid. You have two of your starting pitchers back. John Murphy was exceptional in the postseason last mm-hmm. year. So everybody, all those guys are back. So there were some big losses, but 
there are a lot of really good players coming back to College Park. Compliment with that. The freshman class, some transfers in here right now. I mean, I know it's September 18th, but how do you feel about the team? Uh, I'll tell you I'll tell you what, man. Um, if you were to ask me about a month ago, we were kind of looking at the roster and what we had coming back, and um, obviously losing Schaefer is going to be uh, – going to be tough for us awesome awesome leader obviously was dynamite on Friday nights for us but we also lost a lot of our really good contributors out of the bullpen too um, which is tough to replace so from a pitching staff standpoint you know our numbers are a little bit low right now in terms of in terms of depth and how many guys um, we have but with that said after watching the pitchers for about the past week and a half um, I'm a little bit nervous for our offensive guys <laughs> once these inter-squad games get started. Those guys are walking around like different dudes right now. Um, they're all extremely confident, extremely bought in, and I think they all truly believe that they're going to get better and that when the spring rolls around, they're going to do some damage. Um, from a position player standpoint, I'm really, really excited about, about our guys. Um, you know, I think if you look at it on paper now, which doesn't mean anything, but if you look at it on paper from who we have coming back and the guys we have coming in this year, I think we have a chance that this offense might be the best one we've had in the past five to six years. Um, you know, you mentioned those guys that we have coming back, but we've got some impact freshmen that came in that I think are going to play a ton for us and really compete with some of those older guys for playing time. Um, you know, we had a couple junior college guys come in that have had a ton of success and are really going to be pushing to, to crack into the starting lineup and are going to be big contributors for us. So um, offensively, man, I'm super excited. I think we got a dynamic group. I think we're going to have some experience, um, and I'm just excited to see these guys go to work. Now, a couple of the guys that I mentioned that are coming back are Marty Costas and Zach Jankarski. You were an outfielder here. You worked with the outfielders last year, and a lot of what you also did as first base coach was base running. Mm -hmm. This team saw a ridiculous increase in stolen bases. Marty Costas is a first-team all-Big Ten outfielder. Zach Jankarski, I don't know how he didn't make one of these teams, but you know that's a year ago, but he had a tremendous year. What was it like for you to see the production out of the guys that you played with and then worked with specifically? It was awesome, man, just because – I know how hard those guys work and, and how much time they dedicate to, um, to working on things. So that was really special, man. They're, they're great kids, great leaders, um, even better teammates. So for me, that was a pretty special thing. I got a lot, I got a lot of enjoyment and a lot of satisfaction from being able to sit on the sidelines and kind of watch them do their thing and grow as players um, and as people. So that was, a, that was a pretty cool thing for me. Now, before we get to the Anthony, Anthony Papio part of this, one last question about, you know, in general question here. There is a ton of buzz around this athletic department. I don't just mean the baseball team. I mean everyone. Football's on the up and up. You have mm -hmm. Cole Fieldhouse. Uh, I know you guys are close with Steve Aaron, the volleyball team. I saw you at the match the other day. Oh, yeah. They're playing well right now. Girls' soccer's off to its best start, and wh whoever knows long basketball's always good. Men's soccer's always good. Field hockey's always good. I mean – it's hard to not talk about Maryland nationally when you just talk about the top athletic departments as a whole. 
Now, based on the number of Ric Flair gifts I've seen on Twitter, it seems like recruiting's going well, but how much does all of this help everything with the program? I think it's great, man. I mean, this place is going to absolutely explode here pretty soon. Um, if you just walk up and down the hallway in here, the in the coaches' offices, there is a boatload of national championships, conference championships, coaches that have won at the highest level on a consistent basis. You've also got some coaches that are pretty new in here that are bringing a ton of energy and are going to start winning these national and conference championships pretty soon. I forgot I forgot both lacrosse teams. Yeah. I don't know how I did that. That's, well, it's because it's just so expected <laughs> that it's just kind of swept under the rug. But I think – I think the best thing is we can stop in in any one of these coaches' offices and we just bounce ideas off each other. You know what I mean? And I think um, we have such great relationships with everybody else on this floor um, that we're all pulling the rope in the same direction. You know what I mean? Everybody's willing to help each other out. If we have a big recruit on campus, the rest of these guys come introduce themselves. They try to, you know what I mean? They're giving their two cents. They're telling them why they need to come to Maryland. Um, it's just as important to them as it is for us when it's our player. You know what I mean? Right. So um, these guys are awesome. I, I enjoy coming to work every day and, and being around these people. And, um, you know, I like to think that we have as much passion for our school as anybody. And I think that runs throughout the entire athletic department. I think that's why this place is so special. Now, all right, let's get into this. Anthony Papio time. Let's look at the Maryland baseball coaching staff. It's a group of young guys. I've been trying since the start since Rob Vaughn was hired and all these you know positions came into what they are. I've been trying to think of a name for you guys that you know revolves something around the fact that you're all so young you might still get ID'd at a bar or something <laughs> like that. I mean, this is a young group. So, and, and you know, you guys are all working out things like that. Whatever. Are you the most in shape of all the coaches? Well, no, you haven't met our student assistant yet. Okay. Okay. We call him Captain America. <laughs> so Brandon Irby um, played 10 years in the minor leagues, was a high school draft guy at a high school, um, is coming back now. He came back. He's a junior. He's an aerospace engineer. Um, he's a father. He's married. He has two kids. And he's, I think, six foot five, 235 pounds without an ounce of fat on him. Right. The dude's a freak. All right. So um, I think my title as most in-shape coach is long gone. I don't even think it's close anymore. I don't think I'm going to be competing for that anymore. Even so with all those Iron Terp titles you won? Yeah. Um, it's not even close, dude. So I'm now competing for second. Okay. Um, Who's second? I don't know, man. I'm going to be honest. I'm pretty, I'm pretty small right now. I was at – workouts the other day and i saw hitting coach matt swope with a protein shake and salmon for lunch so that shows he's dedicated yeah yeah he's dedicated you know it's it's he likes to fool guys um <laughs> at practice and make it look like he's dedicated but um he's doing more than i am right now i, I gotta admit but um once i get back on my routine it's it's gonna be game time i'm gonna slide into that second place slot uh Brian Kane's coming in tomorrow. He's a, a mental conditioning coach that we've had come in last year. We're running uh, six to eight miles tomorrow morning at 7.30. Just me and him, everybody else on the staff bailed. Wow. Yeah, I'm calling them out right now because they didn't want to show up. But um, I'm going to be getting better tomorrow morning. Okay. 
Um, <laughs> I can't say the same for the rest of these guys. Now, I think people should know last year when this team was on the hot streak, a lot of the reason is because you were doing biceps before every game in the hotel rooms Lots on the road. Lots of biceps. Has, yeah. that, has that stopped? Or? Yeah, this summer I've gotten away from the biceps. But wow. good news is I'm back to square one, which means there's a lot of room to grow. Okay. It, it's so like it's like a canvas, and you can just mold it however mm-hmm. you want. I got right a blank now. canvas now, and I can just restart. And Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's going to be any shortage of biceps once we get cranked <laughs> up here. Now, I guess people might be worried about this. There's been a lot made of the pull-up bar outside your office. Mm-hmm. Is it still there? Are you using it? Does anyone else use it? Can I use it? Four questions. Um, first question, is it still there? Yes. Um, is it being used? Absolutely. Does anybody else use it? Absolutely. Um, you know, right now there's probably four to five people that I see regularly. Okay. We'll just stop by, swing by, bang out four or five. Just on go your, about their day. Just on baseball staff or the whole athletic? No, department? whole athletic staff. Wow. So now I've probably gotten, I don't know, twelve to fifteen total people to stop by at some point. I'd like it to be more, <laughs> but it's good. we got to start somewhere. Um, and as far as you using it, I would be upset if you didn't. All right. Maybe after we're done with this, I'll go. Let's go crank it out, out dude. So you are the winningest player in Maryland baseball history. Since this whole – I don't even know if I can call it a turnaround, just kind of the explosion of this program, you've been here through the whole thing. What does that mean to you? It's pretty special, man. Um, because honestly, I mean, if you're looking for one name – that's not John Chef, I guess, to say, point out and say, like, this guy was around and means Maryland baseball, what it is right now. It's hard to not say Anthony Papia. Yeah, well, I, uh, you know what? I'm, I'm very humbled by that, and it was pretty cool to be a part of that whole thing. Um, you know, I came in my freshman year and uh, with Coach Backich, and, you know, the state of the program wasn't awesome then. It was on the upswing, but, um, you know, we still – Still, we're kind of in the bottom half of the ACC and struggling a little bit. And um, obviously, we started getting some really good talent in here and um, an awesome coaching staff that kind of spun it around. And it was pretty cool to be a part of the group that did turn things around. Um, it's I think it's one thing to say, okay, I was at Maryland, um, you know, in 2025, and by this point, we're – competing at the highest level on a year-in and year-out basis, um, you know, regularly making trips to Omaha. You know, hopefully we got a couple national championships under our belt by then. But um, for me, it's cool to be a part of the group that kind of rebuilt this thing and, and got it to where it's at now. Um, you know, and I know just how much work myself and, and the rest of the guys I played with and, and those coaching staffs put into this whole thing. So it's pretty cool. So you're the all-time winningest player. You've also played in the most games of any Maryland player. So what would you say to the argument that, you know, you should be the all-time winningest player? Yeah, um, I was definitely the old <laughs> guy when I left here. Um, <laughs> I've been around for a long time, so that might have something to do with it. But, um, you know, it was really an honor just to kind of be able to strap it on and go out with those guys every day um, for as long as I did. You know, it was five years. It seemed like about five months, but – um, I mean, an awesome, awesome experience that, um, you know, probably the best best five years of my life. And, you know, 
being able to be with so many of those different teammates and stuff like that, those are some uh, some of my best relationships that I have with anybody. So it was pretty cool. And so many of those guys doing big things in the minor leagues right now. We'll get you out of here on this. So all-time winning as player, I mean, that's quite the honor. But based on your reaction to this, I don't think all-time winning as player measures up. Last year, towards the end of the season, Michigan State outfielder Chad Roskelly came out mm. with his Big Ten All-Bro team. Yeah. And you were on there. I'm going to be honest, man. That was like one of the cooler days of my life. <laughs> I was legitimately fired up. I think we were on the bus heading to a game at that point when yep. that came out. Um, yeah, that was that was pretty special. Shout out to Chad. Really appreciate that, man. Um, so, I got a lot to live up to now. I got to keep that going and hopefully get back on that team again this year. I wonder who well, – that's a great question. I don't know who's going to take over the uh, nominations now since he's gone. Chad, right. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Chad graduated. So, um, I'm curious to see who's going to take over. For those wondering, what does it take to make an all-bro team? You know what, man? That's a great question because – Are you chatting people up at first base all season? Yeah. Or is it just kind of, you know, like the Euro-cut uniform you're wearing? <sighs> I don't know. It's probably a little bit of – a little bit of all the above. Um, I try to be friendly with those guys, and, and most of those guys over at first base are good dudes. Um, I can kind of talk with a lot of them. I played against half of them. So um, we had some some pretty interesting conversations over there. But, um, no, I don't know. I didn't even know the all-bro team was a thing. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't working towards it, and it kind of just happened, and I was really fired up about it. All right, well, Coach, congratulations on that. Congratulations on your uh, promotion here and everything that's going on with the team, the athletic department. Really appreciate you taking the time, joining us on the podcast, and we'll be sure to see you soon. Awesome, man. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Anthony Papio, volunteer assistant coach for the Maryland Terrapins, for joining us here on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. And I'm now joined by Connor Newcomb. Connor, first question, what's up? Nothing much. Just ready for uh, this Maryland baseball season to get started. Let's let's get to the Fall World Series. Let's advance all, past all this practice stuff. I want to get some games in. I know. There's been a lot of excitement around the program all summer. Uh, we've gotten back here to College Park and. We talked about this with Pap a little bit. The other sports are doing great, but there's nothing quite like baseball season, and I can't wait for it. I know you probably feel the same way. Oh, I think the other sports get me even more excited. These other teams are getting wins, and I just want baseball season to get back here. I mean, obviously Maryland making it to the NCAA tournament last year, so that's even more excitement knowing this team could, you know, they could be better. Lost some pieces, obviously, that we'll talk about in a little bit, making their debut in the pros this summer, but team has a lot of potential and I'm just excited to see him on the field well absolutely and earlier in the podcast we talked about what the Terps who are coming back did this summer but now we're going to talk about what the Terps who are no longer here did this summer this will be the pro Terps segment and Connor is an expert on all things pro Terps right now and well why don't we start this off with as you said the guys who have just left College Park who got drafted those include Brian Schaefer Kevin Smith, Ryan Selmer, and Jamal Wade. Jared Price also got drafted, didn't sign with the Marlins. He's playing indie ball up in Canada. But let's start with the Friday night starter for Maryland last year, Brian Schaefer. He made his way from rookie ball to short season ball with the Diamondbacks, a 3.38 ERA. 
Didn't throw a whole ton of innings, just 24 innings pitch, but he was starting by the end of the year. He threw so much here last year. was the Big Ten Pitcher of the Year, but he did a really nice job in short season and then or rookie ball and then short season. Yeah, as you said, started in rookie ball, but was quickly promoted to the uh, Hillsboro Hops short season single A team for the Diamondbacks. And as you said, he was used as a starter, but kind of limiting his innings. He pitched a lot for Maryland down the stretch. I mean, even in some of those tournament games, I remember the one Big Ten tournament game where I think he gave up seven runs, but ended up going seven innings just because Terps wanted to get him through some innings. He was their horse. I mean, so he pitched a lot of innings in the spring. So they kind of limited him in the summer with the hops. He would start, pitch two, maybe three innings, then get pulled out of the game. But at one point this season, he was part of a combined no-hitter through three no-hit innings. I think a reliever came in through five no-hit innings. The hops lost in the ninth. But Schaefer was very, very good. I mean, struck out 21 batters with the hops, walked just one over all those appearances. And that's so tremendous. Schaefer just pounding the strike zone, and that's got to be something the Diamondbacks like to see. Ended up as the number 30 overall prospect in Arizona at the end of the season, so he's making that top 30 list in his first year off the draft board. So I think things are really looking up for Brian Schaefer, who – Obviously, was the ace for Maryland this season, really came into his own in his final season as a Terp. And I think it was a great point you made about Schaefer was amazing all year for Maryland, struggled in his post two postseason starts, the Big Ten tournament against Iowa, the NCAA regional against West Virginia. So maybe there was some reason for concern about his first professional season. So for people in College Park, it was really good to see how successful Brian was in his first professional year. Yeah, it went great. I mean, I talked about the 21 strikeouts, the one walk. I mean, guys just weren't getting on base against Schaefer in short season single A. I mean, a .83 whip is just phenomenal this season. As you talked about the ERA at 3.38, I mean, that's pretty solid. So the runs were coming across maybe a little bit. But walking the one batter, I mean, especially in a guy's first pro season, you'll let him have some walks. You know, he's trying to work the jitters out, trying to face professional hitters. To walk one guy in 21 innings is just phenomenal in his debut. Now, another Terp who was very high profile last year was Kevin Smith. He came off a tremendous summer with the YD Red Sox in the Cape Cod Baseball League. He had all the hype around him. He was the preseason Big Ten Player of the Year. There was talk that he could even be a first-round pick. Now, Kevin did display power last year at shortstop for Maryland, but the strikeouts were up. The swing and miss was up. He fell a little bit in the draft but had a pretty good first professional year with the Toronto Blue Jays. He's all the way up to their number 25 prospect. Yeah, I think his first professional season or, you know, obviously these seasons cut a little bit short, but it's rookie ball so that you come in after the draft. Kind of mirrored his final season at Maryland. As you said, the power was there. He ended up with eight home runs. He drove in 43 runs and had 25 doubles. But again, the strikeouts were an issue in his first professional season. 70 strikeouts. He drew just 16 walks with the Blue Jays rookie ball team. I mean, the big thing for Kevin Smith in his final regular season game, he kind of showed out, hit a homer, drove in six runs in his final regular season game with the rookie ball Blue Jays. But, I mean, the strikeouts are still there, but he's still hitting for power. He hit 271, so the average was, I think, even up from what it was at Maryland in the spring. So Kevin Smith, and you said number 25 prospect. I know the Blue Jays have a uh, shortstop of the future right now, I believe, in their uh, in their system right now. I believe so. Plus, uh, they got a young kid, Urena, who just came up as a September call-up. They really like him at short. And, of course, Troy Tolowinski's there in the big leagues. But down the road, I mean, Kevin Smith, maybe the bat plays, maybe he moves somewhere else in the infield. But so far, so good in his first professional season. Yeah, the top two prospects for the Blue Jays, Vlad Guerrero Jr. and 
Dante Bichette's son, Bo, who's a middle infielder. You know, those guys are looked at as pretty strong, almost surefire major leaguers. And it's interesting because the question comes up, does Kevin Smith stay at shortstop? I'm pretty sure he can play that position defensively. He put that on display for three years in College Park. And it's not so much the same now, but historically – Shortstop's a position where you take defense and get what you can offensively. And with no those numbers for Smith, you know, 271, eight homers, 43 RBIs, and, you know, a shortened minor league season, you're going to take that every day of the week at shortstop. I guess it's a little bit too early to think about is his path to the big leagues blocked? I mean, he's in rookie ball. He was in rookie ball this year. But a good start for Kevin Smith, I think, no doubt. And we'll get to him in a little bit. But it was kind of like Mike Schwarren, who was looked at as going to be a very high draft pick out of Maryland. Still was a high draft pick, but his last year here dropped a little bit on the draft boards, but he picked things up back in the minor leagues, and that's good to see. The other two alums from Maryland who finished off last year and ended up getting drafted were relief pitchers, Ryan Selmer and Jamal Wade, and they both had a lot of success in rookie ball. Selmer, 21 innings, a 2.14 ERA. The odd number was 11 walks against only eight strikeouts, but Jamal Wade, really incredible. Think about this guy. Just a year ago, he's a left fielder who's really struggling to swing the bat. Now he gets drafted by the Mariners, and he strikes out 27 batters in less than 20 innings, and his ERA is under two. Yeah, I think the most surprising thing out of this draft class, the most impressive player, I think, was Jamal Wade to come out of the draft class and have his first pro season. As you said, the 27 strikeouts in 19 and two-thirds innings, just unbelievable. I mean, I know it's rookie ball, but again, I mean, he wasn't walking, guys. The whip was under one. The ERA was under two. The walks, it was 27 strikeouts to seven walks for Jamal Wade, and he got a lot of, I mean, he just got to pitch a lot, which is something even in his full season as a pitcher this year, I mean, you know, there were situations where, you know, the Terps really didn't know where they are going to use him. He never really became like a go-to late-inning guy, more right. of a middle reliever. But in his first pro season, he got to go to the bullpen and kind of almost be the guy for the uh, Arizona League Mariners, their rookie team. And an incredible first pro season, I think the most impressive out of all those four guys that came out of the draft this year. And the thing that excited scouts so much about Jamal was that He's a raw talent who was just learning to pitch, and he's already throwing in the mid-90s. So it's kind of like a block of clay that you're molding into whatever you want it to be, whatever organization he goes to. And to be that successful early on is very impressive. Yeah, I think it's it's just crazy to have, you know, so little pitching experience and then have so much dominance, you know, in a, in a professional setting. But I think the other thing, you talked about being able to mold him. Also, everything time you draft a pitcher rounds one through 30 wherever you draft him you worry about tiredness on the arm possible arm injuries Jamal Wade's a guy who's barely pitched in his career he doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on that right arm and right now they're seeing him throw mid 90s with a devastating put away breaking ball and they're saying look this guy doesn't have a lot of innings we can maybe push him a little bit or maybe they can kind of limit his innings a little bit so once he shows that he's ready to get up to the high a and the double a he's ready to put in a lot of innings out of the bullpen and show what he can do and continue to advance. He has the stuff to advance. And if he can continue to find the strike zone and show that he can not just be a thrower, but a pitcher, I think Jamal Wade might, I mean, he might have one of the highest ceilings of all the Terps in the minor leagues right now. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. Now, those are the four Terps that were here last year and now playing in major league organizations. Now let's go top down with guys who played here, but a few years removed. 
Brett Cecil signed a big contract with the Cardinals this offseason. He struggled at the start of the year at the moment he's got his ERA back under four, but there was a second turp up in the major leagues this year, Adam Kolarik, who struggled a little bit with Tampa Bay, but look, he made it up there, and that's a very good sign for him, obviously, and a good thing for the program. Yeah, he, uh, the lefty had a couple of stints up in the big leagues with Tampa. I mean, he's pretty much been spending all of his career between double-A AA and triple-A, just trying to find his way into the big leagues. Finally, an injury in the big leagues. The Rays were down to, I think, one left-handed reliever who wasn't working out, and they said, let's give this kid a shot. And finally, he came up. I mean, things didn't go, you know, as well as he might have wanted it to. He had some struggles with some walks. I mean, the strikeouts per nine were under five, which means as a lefty, you want a guy who can come in and strike out left-handed batters. Didn't really work out, but also – you got to think about it. He is a veteran, but a veteran of the minor leagues hasn't really faced big league pitching. And the th the interesting thing about him for the Rays, at least, is when he goes down to Triple A, it's just absolute dominance. I mean, the ERA is down around one. The strikeouts per nine are almost around ten. So I almost see him as a player. I wrote this in the Pro Terps update I did this month for Maryland Baseball Network. I wrote this that he's almost too good for AAA, but he hasn't kind of gotten it yet in the major leagues. Right. I mean, at the moment, I think he's your 4A player, exactly. I mean, he's the definition of that where, you know, you're, you're done with the minor leagues. I mean, he's mastered that. The question is just, you know, getting it up to major league level, which, you know, hopefully it'll happen, but it's great to see two Terps in the big leagues this year that we've seen, and, you know, there's no – there's no way to undersell how important that can be back here in College Park for recruiting. I mean, Maryland has not been a team that produces a whole lot of major league alums. You have Eric Milton on the list, Justin Maxwell, but it doesn't go all that much further than that. But things are going to be changing in the next few years. I'm quite confident in that. I feel like you probably would too. And I think that starts with two guys who made their way up to double-A this season. Lamont Wade, the brother of Jamal, who was an all-star in the Southern League, and he's going to get to play in, this, in the Arizona Fall League this year. And Brandon, Brandon Lau, who... Florida State League Player of the Year without even playing in that league the last few weeks because he got called up, and he's moved into the top 10 second-base prospects in baseball. Yeah, Brandon Lau, Florida State League MVP, the high A for the high A team of the Tampa Bay Rays, hit 311, 927 OPS in that league being named MVP. And as you said, missed the last two, three weeks of the season because he got called up to double-A Montgomery. And Montgomery was deep into the double-A playoffs. Lau was kind of... He wasn't playing every day, but when he was in the lineup, he was playing second base, hitting between seven and nine in the lineup. But when he was back in high A, I mean, he was in the two, three hole every single night winning that MVP award. And I think, as you said, he jumped into that top 10 of the second baseman. I mean, the Rays like him and the Rays always a team that are, you know, they're looking for hitters. They're kind of known. I mean, maybe looking a little bit in, into the future, but a Rays team that's always developing young pitching. They always have young pitching coming in and out, but you just never know about the bats in the Rays system, which I think it's a perfect place for Lau to be right now, a guy who can exceed at double-A next season where I'm sure he'll start and possibly be one of those players who either only has a little bit of time in triple-A or could possibly skip over triple-A if he continues to just absolutely produce like he did this season. And the good thing about Tampa Bay for Brandon is that you know, the Rays are not a team that goes out and signs free agents. You mentioned it. They're always developing young pitching. And, look, their hitting might not always be the best as a team, but 
these guys are all coming up through the minor leagues. So if you're looking at it, you know, you're not too worried that, oh, the Rays are going to go spend $80 million on a second baseman. Once again, this is probably still a little bit far out, but with the season he had this year, Lau's in a great spot. How about Lamont Wade? Yeah, Lamont Wade, I mean, he's – First of all, he's got to be happy his brother Jamal is just showing out in his first <laughs> pro season. But Lamont, again, was great in double-A with the Chattanooga Lookouts. Actually, Lamont's team took on Brandon Lau's team in the semifinals of the uh, their double-A league playoffs. And actually, Lamont's team took the series in five games, and they were named co-champions because Hurricane Irma did not allow them to play that championship series. So Lamont Wade was a co-champion this year uh, with the Chattanooga Lookouts. But again, another all-star year for him. I mean, he hit 292 on the season, seven homers, so the power's a little bit there, 67 RBIs. And in classic, classic Lamont Wade fashion, he walked 76 times, struck out only 71 times. I mean, that's what everyone has loved for Wade since he even got on campus at Maryland is just that batter's eye. I mean, he knows his strike zone. He knows how to get on base. The on-base percentage will always be there. It was right around 400 this year, right at the top of the Southern League. And, I mean, he's a, he's a guy who – I think a lot of people are struggling with where he would play. When he was at Maryland, he played a lot of first base when he first got onto campus. Then he moved out to center field as he got older when Maryland was making their regional runs. Uh, right now, looking like a corner outfielder. Right. So a lot of people think that in a corner outfielder, you need power. Wade hasn't quite showed all the power yet for a corner outfielder, but he's got the arm. He's got the defensive ability, at least, to run balls down, and he can get on base, which everybody loves. Yeah, so Lamont, a really good year. Jamal, a really good year. So that Wade family must be uh, pretty proud of what their kids are doing in the minor leagues. Pitching-wise, a couple guys had honestly pretty dominant years, Jake Stinnett and Alex Robinson. Yeah, Alex Robinson, I mean, he was a guy who always had the stuff. I mean, that fastball sometimes at Maryland, he's touching 98, 99, getting close to 100 sometimes from the left side, which is something you rarely ever see. I mean, you got a guy like – Chapman in the big leagues, maybe a Zach Britton who can right. get close to 100. But other than that, you're not seeing many lefties throw that hard. And that's what Robinson was doing. And he was working on the breaking ball. But even at Maryland, I mean, it was it was an odd thing in 2015, his final year with the Terps when they were making that super regional run to losing to Virginia. Alex Robinson was, you know, a pretty highly ranked pro prospect for Maryland, especially for a guy coming out of the bullpen, but wasn't really pitching in that run because he just couldn't find the strike zone. And I think that was his issue that first year and a half in the pros as well, where he just couldn't find the strike zone. But finally this year, he was able to find the zone, got moved up to high A with the Fort Myers miracle and was just striking out guys left and right in his final, or in his full minor league season this year between uh, single A and high A, 12.69 strikeouts per nine innings. So it was just mowing guys down. I mean, incredibly nice number right there. But, I mean, he finally, I think, was able to find the strike zone with not just the fastball but also some off-speed pitches. And Stinnett got called up to double A late in the season, only gave up one earned run for the Cubs double A affiliate in 14 and two-thirds. And over his entire minor league season, he did have an injury at some part of it but his ERA was under 1.2 and he will be joining Lamont Wade in the Arizona Fall League this fall I guess. Yes Tanit was an interesting uh, story this season because he basically missed most of the year with an injury. I mean a lot of Cubs fans he came into the season in their top 30 prospects list and just didn't play and it was right. almost kind of an undisclosed injury. People didn't really know Cubs fans were kind of trying to figure out where he was and then all of a sudden he comes back on August 5th and uh Gets placed in double-A with the Tennessee Smokies. And, 
I mean, he was a starter at Maryland, but he comes out. Obviously, they're trying to limit his innings a little bit, so they just stick him in the bullpen to see how it works, and it went phenomenally. I mean, he struck out 14 batters in just over 14 innings, and as you said, the ERA right around one, the whip right at one, and he was able to show that he can be a reliever. You know, he still has the stuff. I'm sure he still wants to be a starter, but things went well with him in the bullpen, and He'll really get a shot, him and Wade in the Arizona Fall League, to kind of really show off what they can do. And it'll be even more important for Stinnett because they didn't get to see a lot of him this year with the injury. Now, the last guy to talk about is the unicorn. Mike Schwarren made it up to high A Salem for the Red Sox this year. He moved in to their top 10 prospect list, started the season at number 12. He's now number 7, and he was just mowing down hitters like we've talked about with a few guys, 169 strikeouts in 134 and two-thirds innings between low and high A, and Shawarin seems to have regained the form that so many people saw here at Maryland. I think the argument can be made, and I'm not sure many, how many arguments can be made against it, that he's the best pitcher in program history. Yeah, I mean, he moved up to the Salem Red Sox, as you said, the high A team this year, and at Maryland, I, I think he might have been the best pro pitcher in program history you talked about a little earlier his final season how he kind of struggled that whole year I mean the strikeouts were still there but was really giving up hits giving up runs walking more guys than he ever had but then he had that game in the Big Ten tournament where I think he struck out what 14 15 yeah. batters and that game really showed his stuff and that I think that game alone helped his draft stock because of that kind of the season struggles before that but for Schwarren I mean this season in the combined between single A and high A, the ERA was at 3.81 and over 11 strikeouts per nine. He made 26 starts, and really the numbers were skewed because I think right when he came up to high A ball, that first start, I believe, he gave up like eight earned runs in two innings and really just didn't have it. But after that, was able to settle down and really get things together. And he his final two starts of the year, I mean, that was really big for him to go into the end of the season on a high note, 14 innings in those two starts. He allowed just two earned runs and struck out 18 batters over those final two starts for the Salem Red Sox. So the strikeout stuff, I think, will always be there for Schwarren. It's just about can he get through innings, continue to keep his pitch count down, and show the Red Sox that he can be a starter. I mean, he's the guy who's got stuff where, you know, you see a lot of guys who come through the minors, maybe doesn't work out as a starter, but they always have the stuff and they can become a reliever. He's got that stuff to fall back on, but you know he wants to be a starter because he can compete and go deep into games. And I think one thing that's important to note, I mean, Mike Schwarren's minor league ERA was 3.81 this year, which is solid, not great, but so many top prospects that you see when they get called up to the big leagues I mean, the minor league ERAs are not great, but you see these ridiculous strikeout numbers, really good batting average against. So sometimes ERA, I mean, it can be a function of defense. That's not an error, but a run scores and it's still earned. I mean, I'm not blaming the Salem Red Sox defense. Full disclosure, I've never seen the Salem Red but Sox But it's not play. the Boston Red Sox defense. Right. So, I mean, a lot of the times it's, it, it's stuff and things like that more than ERA when you look at a minor league pitcher. So, Schwarren is certainly on the right track. And before we wrap up this podcast, last year during the season, Jake Eisenberg and I would always pick a Terp of the Week. So, what Connor and I will do here is pick a Pro Terp of the Year. I think our candidates are pretty solidly – Adam Kolarik, because he got called up to the major leagues. You have Lamont Wade, Brandon Lau, and Mike Shawarn. I think you could also make a case for Jamal Wade just from the short okay. amount of time he went from pitcher to or from hitter to pitcher and then dominating rookie ball. But I have to go with Brandon Lau. I mean, he wins MVP award. 
Right. That's that's yeah. a whole another level. Can't do better than that. Hitting over 300, and he got a promotion. I mean, won the MVP award with three weeks cut off of his season. Going up to Double A, you talked about into the top ten second baseman prospects. I mean, he's on a track right now that could you could see Brandon Lau in a major league uniform with the Rays by 2019, and that's the way he's hitting right now. The defense was a little bit iffy sometimes in College Park. I've heard it's getting better and better every year, which is big in the middle infield. You need good defenders there, too. As you talked about, it used to be with second base and shortstop. You went for the defense, and if the bat was there, that's good, too. But second base has really evolved into more of a power position than it's ever been, and I think Brandon Lau's such a good hitter, especially from the left side, that he's got to be my my terp of the year in the minor leagues. Well, you could see Brandon Lau in a major league uniform maybe next year, earlier this week. I saw Brandon Lau in street clothes at workouts back in College Park. It's good to see all the guys back and helping out the players who are still here. I think a really good argument could be made in this discussion for Mike Shawarin because he moved into the top 10 for Red Sox prospects, and it seems like there is a very clear path for him to the big leagues right now. But I completely agree with you. I don't think you can argue with an MVP award. Brandon Lau, top 10 second base prospect in baseball after Yohan Moncada graduated out of all the prospect lists. So a great year for him, but I think it's safe to say this is about as strong as an alumni base that Maryland's ever had baseball-wise, and it will not be a concrete thing that you can see, I think, going forward, but I think the trend will be up and up with guys headed up the minor leagues towards the big leagues and the trickle-down effect here in College Park in terms of recruiting and guys coming back and teaching the current players and things like that. So that'll do it for the first podcast of the 2017-2018 academic year. Special thanks again to volunteer assistant coach Anthony Papio for joining us. Thanks to Chris Rogers, who we talked about summer ball with earlier, and thanks to my partner Connor Newcomb now with all his expertise on pro terps. Like always, you can follow us on Twitter for updates. That's at MDBaseballNet. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash mdbaseballnet. Check out all the content that we put up on our website, marylandbaseballnetwork.com. Connor was posting lots of Pro Terps updates all summer as well as summer ball updates. And now that we are back here in College Park, there will be much more recruiting content as well as things going around or going on around the team here in the fall. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, and as Jake always used to say, if you're still listening right now, I venture you do, you can subscribe by searching Maryland Baseball Network in iTunes and click that subscribe button. Like last year, the podcast will be monthly during the offseason and then every single week when the Terps get back in action early in 2018. So once again, for everyone that's joined me on the podcast, I'm Justin Galanti. Have a good one, everyone. <laughs>